This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by FingerTech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out FingerTech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. FingerTech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From our warm and practical mitten factory in Vermont, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the millionaires and billionaires behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. <laughs> I'm Luke. <laughs> I'm Lindsay. Oh, and I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Mammoth Captain Ricky Willems. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. So you'll have to take off your mittens to actually write the review. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Behind the Bots, and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Once again, we are asking for your support. Time now for yet another round of Snap Decisions, where we make ill-informed predictions about this week's fight card and score them against your ill-informed predictions. Last week, we had 36 people participate in Snap Decisions. 13 of us called seven out of the seven fights correctly and won a free sticker pack. That group includes Cameron Hutton, Alexander Archer, Mike Lesko, Sammy Bendali, two-time winner Corey Schweinhart, L. Irene, Joseph Somers, Tom Brisbourne, B is for BattleBots illustrator Caleb Kempson, Stuart Hunt, Jesse Mullen, Austin Brady, and Rihanna Taylor. So congratulations to all of you. And because of this, uh, people in Vietnam, Timbuktu, Guam, you're all excluded. I'm sorry. If we're going to keep having episodes where the fights are this predictable, we just can't send you stickers to the middle of nowhere. I, I will tell you that uh, that I, I I spoke with Jesse, L, Cameron, and Tom, and I will be sending stickers to the UK, Malaysia, and uh, Australia um, at a, a horrifically high personal expense. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I personally blame BattleBots for that for uh, for coming up with a kind of predictable fight card. But we will yep. we will talk about that later. Um, <laughs> The, the sure shot last week was Sub-Zero versus Sporkinok with 35 out of 36 people correctly predicting that Sub-Zero would win. I was the, uh, I was the one person, I was the one outlier. Uh, the hardest match to call was the main event with just 22 people correctly predicting that Hypershock would win. All right, let's run through this week's fight card. I'm really looking forward to hearing your predictions. Uh, at first glance, uh, my my snap kind of like first glance is that this is slightly less predictable, but uh, we do have a couple of odd matchups here. So are you ready emotionally, physically, spiritually, Chris, Lindsay, Kyle? I'm ready. Bring it on. All right, cool. Um, in our opening match, we have Kraken versus huge kraken is coming off of a huge win um in their first main event 
against Witch Doctor and Huge, which now sits at 0-2, desperately clinging uh, to, uh, to, to this record in hopes of improving to 1-2. and two. Your thoughts on this match, Kyle? What you gonna bite? That's my thought on this match. What are you mm -hmm. gonna bite? Okay. You're gonna bite a wheel? No, you're not. What are you gonna get? What are you gonna get a bite on? You're gonna get like a spindle broken, maybe on a wheel. Who cares? Matt drove a perfect match against Witch Doctor, and that meant at points where Witch Doctor was trying to get a hit on Matt, Matt was able to get a bite on them and hold that bite for those 30 seconds and then let them go, right? And he was able to do that over and over and over again, and he did a phenomenal job. All credit to Matt for driving his bot beautifully and doing a fantastic job. He will drive perfectly in this match, too. I'm going to go ahead and predict it. Matt Spurk is going to drive perfectly in this match. And when he does that turn to get a bite on Huge... Huge is going to smack him in the face with that vertical bar spinner mm. because there's nothing for Matt's perk to bite onto. Mm. So in the rock, paper, scissors of battle bots, which now thanks to bots like huge and mammoth is like rock, paper, scissors, uh, the swinging mace chain weapon thing from ancient China. Right. Um, you know, like there's nothing that Matt and Kraken just can do in this match. They can probably get some pushes in on the side of huge. We've seen other bots try to do that. It's not super effective. I mean, unless Hydra loans them their bike rack, I don't see Kraken doing much in this match. So I'm going to give it to huge. Okay. Kyle, um, I'm, I'm actually freaking out over here because I'm sitting here trying to come up with an analogy to describe what, what my feelings on the match would be. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, it is a game of rock, paper, scissors, 250-pound vertical spinner made out of mostly UMHW. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. And the fact that you just said all of that, like, uh, you're in, get out of my brain. <laughs> Chris, so you are going to go with huge? Yeah, I mean, they couldn't have picked another um, bot to help facilitate huge's path to the the top thirty two because Kraken has already built, um, you know, a better record and better uh, recognition for the season. Uh, so huge by way of victory against Kraken probably gets their foot in the door for the top thirty two. So. It. Uh, and and just the 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 shape and the the means in which the bots do uh, fight. I mean, it, it clearly this this is like a, a, a match that huge has a, a massive advantage in, and it's it's a, it's almost hard to believe that it that it's not intentional. Mm. Okay, Lindsay, your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything everyone has said. I think Kraken will be a tasty snack for Huge. And uh, hopefully he doesn't destroy it so bad that it affects them in the in the finals because I think they are making the uh, championship seed. Awesome. And I will also go with Huge. Clean sweep. Okay, on to our second match. 
Uh, our first look at Axolotl versus Ribot. So these are two student teams. Axolotl um, is made up of high schoolers from Southern California who had a sprint build in the, the month before BattleBots filming was going to take place. Uh, a lot of factors that are, are up against them. This is, um, you know, uh, a brand new team with a brand new bot against um, Ribot, which is pretty dialed in. Uh, your thoughts, Kyle? All right, one month bots, right? Like that's something we've got to start like kind of classifying here. You've got your one month bots in Axolotl. You've got your one month bots in, um, uh, what's another good one that- Jackpot, Pain Train. Pain Train. Um, oh, what about Tracer? One month bots, right? So Axolotl, I've seen their work now in um, the Bounty Hunter show. Mm. Um, they had a pretty decent showing in there, actually. Mm. Um, as far as one-month builds go, I would not put them at the top of the heap, which would be, you know, your tracers and your uh, jackpots of the world. But I would put them about in the middle of the pack of the one-month mm. builds. Um. And while I don't think they're going to win this, I think we're going to see these kids put on a great show. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. That said, it's got to go to Ribot. They're just more experienced. They've got a lot more time to dial that bot in. And Ribot's performing very well this season. So, yeah, the Ribot boys got this one. Chris, Lindsay, which aquatic creature are you going to be going with for this match? For the sake of brevity, I'm just gonna I'm gonna nod and agree with Kyle, and um, uh, I'm gonna go with Ribot. Lindsay. For the sake of even more brevity, I'm gonna say what they said. Uh, another clean sweep. I'm also going to go with Ribot. All right. Also a one month build, right? Yes, that's true. Yeah, that's right. How many one month builds in this? So interesting. We have these like super dialed in robots that have been together for like a million months before this tournament. And then a whole bunch of one month robots. On our, our, our third fight uh, in the fight card, Rotator versus the big deal. Rotator also looking for its first win um, of the season, hoping to squeak in with a low seed um, in the top 32 versus the big deal, which has had two really good fights that have gone, um, uh, you know, Really, really great reliability from from that robot. Uh, your thoughts, Kyle, here? It's got to go to Rotator. I keep saying that things are going to go to Rotator when they don't go to Rotator, but uh, this one's got to go to Rotator. Okay. Chris, Lindsay? I don't I don't even have a pickle pun for this. Um, <laughs> it's it's going to be Rotator. Okay. Uh, despite the big dill's best attempts to spear their opponents. Like a Are you thinking spear. of bale spear? No, they because they have the little pickle spears out front. <laughs> I got it, Lindsay. I got it. <laughs> Despite their best attempts, I uh, I don't think Rotator is going 0-3 this season. I think um I think it'll be a good fight. I think it'll be a fun fight to watch and it will ultimately go to Rotator in a knockout. Uh, we are we are voting in lockstep here. I, I believe that Victor Soto and Rotator will relish the win over the Big Dill. Oh, oh you're really in your it. There was. 
Luke's really um, in his bread and butter right now. <laughs> All right, on up to the fourth fight of the night, which is uh, usually one of the more explosive fights. Uh, we have two bots that are sitting at 2-0, and o, two undefeated bots. One would really like to go to 3-0. and o. Jackpot versus Lockjaw. This is also brand new rookie bot, a one-month build versus Lockjaw, which has been dialed in for for season after season with uh, a driver who has been um, driving combat robots since um, Jackpot Captain Jeff Waters was uh, was just a young tot. So uh, your thoughts here, Jackpot versus Lockjaw, Kyle. I think Jackpot is going to put on a great show while Lockjaw destroys them. <laughs> okay. All right. Chris, Lindsay? Yeah, this is uh this is one where I, I really don't know. I know that obviously in the corner of, of Lockjaw you have years and years of experience. Um with Jackpot, a new bot, you you know, there still could be questions around reliability and um uh you know things that might have uh, not really been thought of during the build process, but uh you know what? They might have luck on their side. They do probably have a little bit more reach. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, uh, this feels wrong in every imaginable way, but I'm going to say jackpot. Okay. All right. Uh, Lindsay. I appreciate your uh, opinion, Chris, but I will differ from you and I will, I just have to go with it, you know, experience over quick build. Um, so I'm going to say Lockjaw. I don't have much to add. I'll, I will point out to all of our listeners that I'm wrong most of the time. <laughs> I wasn't on... I didn't make the 7 out of 7 uh, last week because I said that Rusty was going was gonna to win. <laughs> <laughs> so don't... Please, if you're, if you're, if you're gambling on this... Don't take my opinions as as anything credible. I I think that this is going to come down to the ground game, and we haven't seen great wedgelets yet from Jeff and Jackpot. We've seen these kind of tiny little ones that came out in its first match um, and were more of a hindrance to the robot's performance than, um, than Jeff would have liked, whereas Lockjaw has these really long forks. I think we're going to see them get uh get underneath jackpot and um really uh really land some big hits um i i am interested to see jackpot's configuration though um i I know the the main weapon doesn't change but um but i i would like to see you know what 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 they're planning i guess on the front end and whether they're they they have their self-rider kind of working for the for this match um but I, I would agree with you, Kyle, that I think that this is going to be an explosive fourth match. All right. Um, on over to Bloodsport versus Kronos. Uh, probably our um, our uh, hardest one to call, you know. Uh, we have two incredibly high kinetic energy robots here. Uh, great reliability uh, in both of them. You know, it could really go either way. Your thoughts, uh, Kyle? Kronos from last season had great reliability. We don't know anything <laughs> about this Kronos. Um, remember that Kronos's ring got cracked. So this is pretty much going to be a new bot. Kronos, 
Yeah, I mean, Kronos does have a loss to P1, right? It's an unaired basement fight. Um, and from what Correct. I understand, Kronos just couldn't couldn't spin up in that one. So, all right. So let me let me expand on this uh, this crazy conspiracy theory. I've been, um, you know, the I've been I've been drawing red lines across my wall, thinking about this fight. And here's here's what I've come <laughs> up with. Brian Nave once told us that uh, Tombstone dodges him because the physics of a full bodied spinner, a full body shell spinner up against a bar spinner like tombstone was just really bad for them. The producers never put that fight together because they didn't want tombstone to get embarrassed by a low seated bot like captain shredderator. And similarly in this situation, you have like a full bodied ring spinner in Kronos going up against a powerful bar spinner in blood sport. And because of that, analysis by spin to win brian nave my thoughts are that bloodsport is going to completely and totally win this fight in like two minutes (laughs) by that by that logic the reason why uh all the jocks didn't actually bully me was because i practiced my katana in my backyard when i was 14 (laughs) that that makes sense i've i've vouch all right, Chris, on over to uh, you and your katana. Uh, Bloodsport versus Kronos. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, this is a this is Bloodsport's match. Um, uh, I, the only thing I could really imagine is a scenario where there's like a uh, an unforeseen ricochet where Bloodsport isn't really able to to spin up and and Kronos like really lucks out with a great shot, but. It, I mean, Bloodsport's shown that they're that they're reliable, they're driven well, and 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 the bot is just a, a maniac. I mean, the only thing that I could see maybe posing an issue for Bloodsport is uh, if Kronos was like lower than their bar, maybe then the spinning Kronos would be able to push Bloodsport before they could be fed up that wedge or like their side up to the bar, but. I really see this as as Bloodsport's um, match to win. Um, I think that it, you know, what we've seen from them this season is a lot more reliability um, than what we've seen it from Kronos last year, mm. um, and certainly it seems this year. Um, although we haven't seen that that fight, um, and uh, some people might have thought I was crazy when I thought Bloodsport was going to dominate the season, but here we are. They're looking pretty good. Clean sweep again. I'm going to say blood sports as well. Um, yeah, it's it's it is strange to see uh, s- some of these matches because they seem almost randomly generated. Um, blood sports already been having a great season. Um, it's it's already really established itself. I would imagine blood sport versus Kronos seems more like a first fight, not a third fight. You know, in the qualifiers. But uh, I am not the one making the choices here. Um, all right, <clears throat> on over to our sixth fight, War Easy. Our first look at, uh, at War Easy, a brand new robot from Texas versus Fusion um, uh, uh, from Team Wayachi. Kyle, your thoughts here? I mean, wh- I have no idea what to think. Um, we haven't seen War Easy yet, which is weird. The bot has been together for a while, like assembled and built and whatnot. Um, so it's very strange that we haven't seen them yet in the competition. I have no idea why they wouldn't have shown up on television until now. We haven't even heard about unaired fights with them. 
I guess I kind of have to give it to Fusion based on that. Like, there's got to be a reason we haven't seen Juarez yet. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to give it to Fusion, but that's just because of complete lack of information. I remember seeing um, Ori Z early, uh, early in the season when we were introducing bots, and I really do think that it has a very cool-looking build. It's uh, it's almost kind of like a, a hyper shock esque kind of four wheel uh, vert and um, that kind of organic shaped like swooping uh, vertical bar. I mean, it looks like it could really throw out some devastating hits. That said, I really haven't seen uh, it ever spin up or any footage of it, um, but it might be a sleeper for the second half of the season. Uh, leading up into the episodes, uh, getting into the you know the final thirty-two. So, I'm hoping that we see something really cool out of this bot. And uh, this is just the the very first time that they're introducing it to us. And I'm gonna go with War Easy. Okay, Lindsay, your thoughts? Um, that's an interesting concept to think that you know they're saving like this up and comer. Um, bot that's gonna like you know do well in competition late in late in the season i would love to think that that's gonna happen um but just going by my general rule of thumb if it's a first bot that we don't know much about versus a bot that we've at least seen perform before i'm always gonna go with the latter um so i'm gonna say fusion for this one but i would be really excited to see you know war easy or or war as uh I don't know what how you pronounce it. Um, I would love to see them do really well. I agree with you, Lindsay. I that analysis was one hundred percent right on, and I think it's War Easy as the bot, but the captain's name is Juarez. Um, yeah, John Jonathan Juarez um, has built a really beautiful bot. I have a couple questions about it. One, I mean, um, it's a very long bot, and I'm kind of curious about what makes up the rest of the length of that bot. Little concerns about the um, the unprotected wheels. I'm just like literally every single other cliche <laughs> fan. Um, and uh, also the decision not to add bunny ears above the, uh, the vertical disc um, and instead really um, relying on their missile-shaped self-writer in the back, um, which is tough, you know, relying on a mechanical device, as as Hypershock will tell you. Um, you know, you, you want to ideally have a fail-safe there. Um, this is a absolutely gorgeous bot, though. I am really, really hoping that it is fast and nimble and powerful. Um, but I suspect that the reason why we haven't seen them yet, the reason why we haven't seen them in the, the first, second, third, fourth episodes is that they were having some um, early kind of gremlins, some issues, and those may be on display. So I am going to go with Fusion. Um, okay, on to our main event. Tombstone versus Scorpios. Kyle, this one's going to be good. I am really interested in hearing your, your thoughts on this one. Scorpios. Scorpio. They were made. They were made to beat Tombstone. The point of Scorpios is to fight Tombstone. The giant plow on Scorpios is intended to absorb those hits from Tombstone. The hammer saw on Scorpios is intended to rip apart that truss that holds Tombstone's weapon. 
Scorpios is designed to destroy Tombstone. And I'm going to go ahead and say that Zach and Diane are going to use it to its full design parameters in this fight. And I cannot wait to watch it. Hmm. Okay. Um, counterpoints, you know, they, they did lose to Bloodsport in their, their first match this season. Um, Bloodsport is Tombstone-esque. You know, it's obviously not the same. But uh, do you think we, we might see uh, Zach and Diana run into uh, kind of similar problems there? No, because Bloodsport is all blade on top. Tombstone is blade out front. And okay. if Zach and Diana can ram into Tombstone and stop that blade for just a second and smash down into that truss work, that's what they need to do. You know what I mean? Loosen that blade, wobble that blade, get the framework for that blade all broken apart. Um, there's nothing to hit on Bloodsport with a top-down weapon like that. You know what I mean? You can't can't come down on them without hitting blade and you're going to break your weapon when you do that. That is not the case with Tombstone. Rock, mm. paper, scissors wise, Scorpios is very bad for Tombstone. Mm. Interesting. Uh, Chris, Lindsay. Yeah, I, that, that, that is true. Scorpios is a bot that is des designed to fight bots like Tombstone, but can you ever be fully prepared to fight Tombstone? Just, just to, just to kind of break it up a little bit, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that, I'm gonna say that there's probably a chance that Tombstone is able to disrupt that strategy and uh, maybe pull off a, uh, a wheel removal or, or something like that 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 hobbles them. And uh, I'll go with Tombstone. Okay, Lindsay, uh, are you siding with the King of Kinetic Energy or uh, with uh, Zach and Diana from Scorpios? Well, so here's how I see it. Uh, last season, we saw a really great, really great match between Tombstone and Sawblaze. Hmm. Um, and I think there's argument that Sawblaze has a better, you know, track record in terms of like who they've won against and um, who they've lost to. Um, and Sawblaze couldn't pull it off. You know, Tombstone uh, won that ba battle. Um, so I think just based on that experience. If Sawblaze can't couldn't do it in that mat battle, like I'm not sure that uh, Scorpios can. Um, and so, just based on that, I'm gonna say Tombstone. Okay, um, I'm also going to go Tombstone. Um, I think that the challenge with Tombstone is that you have to basically drive perfectly. Zach and Diana are fantastic drivers; they work together really well. Um, but you can't make any mistakes for three minutes. And, um, I'm, well, okay, now I'm talking myself out of it because we saw in the preseason that Scorpios had built all of these special wedges, these special plows. Um, and, and you have to imagine that they had built an anti-tombstone plow. Okay, all right. I'm changing my mind on the fly. All right, I'm going to go with Scorpios. Um, I, I'm really stoked about this fight. Um, like, as, as, I'm, as I'm looking at it in my, my mind, I mean, I, I can see it. I can see the path to victory. Um, and I hope that we see some really, really cool, like, plow design come out. I, I know that, that that team has put a lot of thought into their bot. 
um, in the off season. And I'm I'm a Scorpios believer. All right, I I'm 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 on board, Team Scorpios all the way. I will say that it's interesting that so many of our predictions are similar, and I'm getting flashbacks to this week. Uh, you know. Um, and I, I hope that we don't have another, you know, 12, 13, 14 perfect predictions. Um, kind of odd that like at, at this, the, at the cusp of the top 32, the cusp of the championship that we're seeing uh, lopsided matches. Um, but I guess we will have to see. We're running out of stickers. We, we are. Yeah. We're going to have to send Greg and Trey a bill uh, because they are, uh, <laughs> they're, they are really, uh, really depleting our sticker supply pretty quickly. For for Corey Schweinhardt, like I had to, I had to dig into like my my swag uh, box to try and find other stickers because we already sent him a behind the bot sticker, and um, who knows, maybe maybe he'll become a, a three time perfect predictor uh, this week. Um, if you are uh, shouting at your podcast player and you want to get in on Snap Decisions, look for our fight card post on Wednesday evening and uh, send us your predictions. Time now for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have three news items for you today. First up, we want to wish Chomp Captain Zoe Stevenson and her husband, Yasha Little, Chomp size congratulations on the birth of their second child earlier this month. Congratulations, Zoe and Yasha. Technically, like their fourth child. If oh, we count the box. Right, right. On over to Florida, where witch doctor Captain Andrea Galately is putting out a call for a social media manager who can help the team get more engagement on their witch doctor junior video series and their BattleBots post show, Tale of the Tape. Check out details on the team's Facebook page. And finally, BattleBots Internet is buzzing this week after a Malaysian artist named Hotcoin released anthropomorphized versions of dozens of 2020 bots as female superheroes that manage to capture the essence of each robot. Highly recommend checking these out and watch out for possible merch in the future. Check out Hotcoin on Instagram. That's H-O-T-K-O-I-N. All right, let's switch gears and get into our recap of episode seven. This was an episode without an upset. Every bot that was favored to win did in fact win, and we saw a couple of pretty lopsided matchups. Basically, the bot that had the higher kinetic energy weapon came out on top. Uh, think about these. Copperhead versus P1, Beta versus Rusty, Sub-Zero versus Sporkanok. These were good fights. These were entertaining fights, but predictable fights. Um, on balance, the fights in episode seven were fun, but lacked much, if any, surprise. All right, uh, let's get into our first fight of the night, Captain Shredderator versus Axe Backwards. We saw some pretty big changes from both of these robots. Externally, Axe Backwards came out with a really smart wedge attachment. I am loving this wedge. I would love to hear your thoughts on this wedge and whether Kurt should, should adopt this wedge permanently going forward. I, I thought it was great. Um, and Captain Shredderator came out with internal changes that were designed to capture more of its boss past performance. Both bots were in peak form in this fight, which was really cool to see. Captain Shredderator managed to clip off one of Axe Backwards' wheels, snapping an eight-match losing streak. But it kept spinning after the match, and some people say it's still spinning to this day. Your thoughts on this fight? You said that there are no surprises, but... I think uh, the performance of Axe Backwards was the biggest surprise of the whole episode. Okay. All right. Say more about that. 
I mean, we I don't think we've seen a fight that, that that was that good for Max backwards in seasons. I don't know. I th- I thought it was doing really really well. I would have favored Axe backwards to win um had it ended up going to a judge's decision. Um it was just really thrilling to see. I I had a lot of fun watching that bot and you know, I know that um Kurt is there to put on a good show. And he always does, but I think this was his one of his best ones yet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I, I I really love that that wedge attachment, and I, the the biggest thing that I've been confused about about axe backwards design are the uh, the big pink axes. Like they don't deal a lot of kinetic energy. Um, they kind of get in the way. Like if they they kind of fling forward it actually keeps the their opponent out of that huge drum where as this this huge like when you turn axe backwards into a, a big triangle you know um the idea is you could get someone up and then feed it right into that that big drum which is just great um what what, what do you think i mean do do are, do we uh, you know do we think that this is should be a a permanent change for for axe backwards I think it would be really unfortunate to see that particular wedge go up against a vertical spinner. Mm. Um, I think that would be a good thing to watch get flung up and, you know, their bot kind of get high centered and flown off the ground. Uh, but against horizontals or push bots, this was great. This was a lot of fun. Um, I think that, you know, something like this makes a lot of sense. And uh, Kurt did a great job. He really drove very well in this match. On number two, Copperhead versus P1. Now, this is our first time seeing P1 in the main show. Uh, P1, as we said, had earned an earlier win in an unaired basement fight against Kronos and also appeared on BattleBots Bounty Hunters. But, you know, for for fans of of the main show, um, this is really our our first time seeing the new and improved P1 um, EVO. Uh, now, this was a quick appearance, <laughs> unfortunately. It was essentially a two-hit KO, with Copperhead earning a decisive knockout in just 38 seconds and cruising to a 2-0 start to the season, really kind of unscathed from this fight. Your thoughts on this match? It was fun watching P1 get destroyed. It was <laughs> sad watching P1 get destroyed. Yeah. But yeah. Copperhead's looking pretty mean, huh? Yeah, yeah. I I have been a fan of the Copperhead design ever since we saw it in its rookie season. I I just love the egg beater. Like I I think that and the egg beater concept really um really works well in the battle box. Um you've got this this big wide kind of um uh weapon that is designed to make maximum amounts of contact really kind of punt its opponent up in the air um and we're we're seeing really copperhead's great performance from from that robot so far this this season um but yeah it was pretty pretty one-sided i did not realize copperhead was so so little until this fight it's so little yeah it's a dense little bot it is. Dense. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, on over to the Battle of the Hammers, Beta versus Rusty. 
Beta has had a pretty rough go of it story-wise. I think, you know, if you're the average American fan um, sitting at home watching Ice Road Truckers and then BattleBots comes on and uh, you see Beta now for the second time. First match, didn't fire the hammer. You know, accusations of, of uh, you know, controversial judges and, uh, you know, poor sportsmanship. And then absolutely destroying Rusty in this this match. Just 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 terrible you know um so poor john reed you know fantastic builder like has been around in the game forever um just his his story arc is it's it's tough it's tough this season um after the after the fight uh you know john said that it looked like uh he had lost two out of the bots for electromagnets which is uh why it jumped so high when it hit kind of the back of rusty's aluminum body um rusty captain dave eaton said he suspects his bot got partially high centered after one of its hard mounted forks got bent which affected the bot's mobility still hard mountain to climb for rusty which falls to one and one your thoughts on this match? I mean, it's kind of like a like an '80s action movie. Yeah. Okay. The yeah. Story the story of Rusty. I mean, this is the part where the uh, the aggressive, overfunded British interloper kind of comes over and you know takes this up and coming uh, American farm boy off his feet and now dave eaton is just out there somewhere uh slamming coffee and like you know um pulling an ox cart you know getting ready for uh his his next fight i love it i love it thoughts on thoughts on on rusty's performance it was actually a lot faster and more nimble than i thought and if um if he hadn't gotten high centered i mean i think we would have seen a lot better mobility out of the robot um but Rusty's performance was was surprisingly good, I would say. You know, um, it, it really hung in there. Um, thoughts th- thoughts on on Rusty and, and Bita? Was um, I did not like this fight. Mm. It was a sad way to introduce Bita's weapon. Yeah, uh, which was very powerful, but uh, you know, they may as well have just fired it at a whole litter of new puppies. <laughs> uh, knowing what we know now, uh, you know, do you think that they filmed this out of order? Was Rusty and Beta the first match? Um, you know, thoughts, thoughts there? Oh, that's an interesting question. Uh, no, I'd like to think that this was, uh, was later, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Either way, this was a cruel thing to do. Um, and I just, I was very sad to see it. You know, you could put Rusty up against a tombstone. I think that would have been more fair, but uh, you can't put them up against Beta. It's not nice. They, they barely have any top armor. And plus, that popcorn bowl doesn't even belong to Dave. It's his parents. <laughs> yes, they're expecting it back in one, one piece. There, there was there was like a little bit of discussion online um, after this match where people were basically complaining that about top seated bots, these 50, 60, 70, 80, 90,000 dollar bots going up against garage builds, going up against kids. Um, you know, these really lopsided matches, which we have, you know, um, decried on this this podcast. And 
like Dave got in there and was like, you know, they're for us. Like we want to fight the biggest bot that we can. And like that, it, it like shifted my mindset about it. You know, um, if, if I bring Rusty, you know, if, if, if I'm Dave and I, I bring Rusty to the competition, I want to fight Tombstone. I want to fight Beta. I want to fight Hypershock, you know, like give me that shot. Um, and you know, like they, they really want to test, test their robots, which I think is pretty cool. I think the challenge though, is that if you are the tombstone or the beta or the hypershock, um, you're kind of in a no win situation because, um, either you destroy a beloved bot from a rookie and people hate you for that, or you lose and it's humiliating and you have, you know, kind of like that, that mark on your, your, your record for the season. So, um, I, I can see why it's great for, for the underdog. Um, but in some ways, the the bot who is uh, overpowered uh, kind of face faces faces a uh, kind of a no no win situation. Viva um, Rusty! <laughs> we love you, Rusty. Um, all right, on over to Hypershock versus Mammoth. Uh, Team Mammoth came out riding on the robot, which I absolutely loved. Uh, the big difference in this match was Mammoth's weapon. In its earlier fight with Huge, Team Captain Ricky Willems opted for a flexible weapon. In this match, he ran with his conventional steel trunk. Hypershock came out with an offensive configuration with an essentially flat front. This was a driving match, and Hypershock is one of the best driven bots in the field this year. We saw Will Bales get around to the side of Mammoth and tip it over and deliver that kill shot to its batteries. We're catching up with Ricky in about 10 minutes, who will break down this fight. Really a good analysis of, of this match. But in the meantime, any thoughts on Hypershock versus Mammoth? I uh, just want to reiterate, you know, this has been said many times on social media, but um, I, Will Bales couldn't hear Ricky, and his <laughs> bot was a little bit torqued at the time. I've now recently learned after watching the most recent episode of Tale of the Tape. Mm. Um, and so it was drifting to the left as he was driving. So while he was aiming for Ricky's wheels on Mammoth, he actually swerved a little bit and hit the battery box and uh, exploded it. So Will, Will Bales did nothing wrong. Is, is that right? Will Bales did something wrong, but it wasn't ill-intentioned and it wasn't mean-spirited. I will say that assuming that this episode all happened on the same day, and most of these episodes do happen all on the same day, this was a terribly expensive day. Mm. Between yeah. the continually spinning Captain Shredderator and then the massive lipo fire after literally all of Mammoth's batteries went up in flames, <laughs> this day cost a bajillion dollars. Like, 45% of the entire BattleBots production budget went into this day. Um, so I, I read a rumor that Captain Shredderator's shell kept spinning for like 40 or 45 minutes. Um, yeah, 45 minutes. That's the, the, the consensus. Yeah. Um, and then and then Ricky, how, how long did he say his, his batteries burned for? He said it was then? well into the evening. Like, yeah. Like after uh, the people were going home and there were still people in the box sucking like post smoke. Wild. Wild. <laughs> Aside from that, I think if I had to choose any BattleBots team to be a member of, I think I would choose Mammoth. Really? Yeah. 
I they just look like they're always having so much fun. Um and they come out, they ride on the bot. Like I think they just have a really good time with it and they have a good humor about it. And yeah, I now that I think about it, I think I would join Team Mammoth if I was a bot builder. Hmm. Okay. It's not because they have the coolest jackets. And they have the coolest jackets. <laughs> oh, Speaking of which, apparently there's an Indiegogo for Mammoth Jackets. Go get one. Yeah. Um, I, I included a link to, uh, to, the, to the Indiegogo in this week's show notes. So uh, go check it out. Um, all right. On over to Sub-Zero versus Sporkanok. This was a tough second match for Lilith Specht and Sporkanok which seems to continue to face reliability issues. We did see our first look at the bot's spork-shaped hammer configuration, but didn't see the power in that hammer that I'm sure Lilith wanted to uh, wanted to show on the show. Instead, this was another squash match for Sub-Zero, which dominated in its fight throughout and improves to two and one. Your thoughts on this fight? Uh, this was a great match for Sub-Zero. I felt bad for Sporkinok. Mm, yeah. There just wasn't a lot they could do. They couldn't win the pushing game. They couldn't really win the low ground game. The Spork could have gotten some hits in, but we now know that there were some reasons why the Spork was a little bit anemic at this point in the tournament. Um, yeah. Tough match for Lilith. Uh, but great match for, for Sub-Zero, and I'm glad that they are kind of showing their power, showing their ability going into the end of this uh, these fight nights, and uh, hopefully they get seated well in the round of 32. I would tell Lilith, uh, don't lose hope. It took Sub-Zero some time to get uh, to get up and running and, and, and working smoothly. Uh, so I hope... Um, I hope that we see her and and and, and Sporkinok again in future seasons. Well said. All right, on over to Tracer versus Balespear. Tracer, top form, uh, a needle, top form, doing what a needle was designed to do. Tracer, very ambitious robot from returning builder Jason Woods with an innovative internal design and some interesting thinking around the geometry of the robot. So far, the team has faced some pretty typical rookie reliability issues and challenges around self-writing, but the bot was looking good here as it managed to work together with Needle to hold Bale Spear in place and rip off one of its front plows. Your thoughts on this fight? It was really cool to see Needle do the Needle thing so well. Yeah, yeah. That was neat to, to see that. And on such a like high-up bot, you know, um, Bale Spear is like, I think they described him as the monster truck of battle bots, which I think is a great descriptor for them. Um, no, it was really cool. I I really enjoyed this fight all the way around. I thought um, I thought it was really great to see Tracer do so well and really show what they're capable of going into hopefully the round of thirty two. It seems like they might be on the list. We'll see, uh, but they did a great job in this fight. Is Needle the best mini bot in the fields? For 2020. Yeah, Warstop's not here, so obviously it's them. I, I heard that Warstop is here, um, but it it's uh, it was painted and now sits on uh, Emmanuel Carrillo's team with the Big Dill and has been renamed to a meatball, I think. Spicy meatball? Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we haven't seen 
spicy meatballs slash uh, war uh, war stop do much. Um, Gassy Cat was pretty fun. Um, <laughs> you know, last 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 uh, last week. Um, Spitfire kind of was knocked out of the sky. I think I think Needle might 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 be the uh, the mini bot to watch this this season. Really interesting kind of um, cam lifter design there. Um, capable of exerting a huge amount of force, um, lifting five up to five hundred pounds. You know, um, and I'd, I'd love to see that design um, in in more mini bots and maybe even a heavyweight. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I think the most adored. Uh, Minibot is a competition now between um, Kraken's little Norwal bots and the little snake bots from Copperhead because both adorable. Uh, oh, what about uh, what what about Slapbox's little Minibot? Oh Jimmy yeah, Bird? yeah, okay. Super effective, wasn't it? There's a uh, there's there's some good Minibots this this year. Um, but yeah, a needle, uh, definitely, uh, <laughs> one of the most useful mini bots that we've seen, um, sure. in recent years. All right. On over to the main event, whiplash versus gruff. Uh, I loved this fight and this was the hardest one to call, um, for, for a good reason. Um, because we saw incredible driving versus bulletproof reliability. Um, I looked this up. This stat is remarkable. Gruff has faced seven fights so far in his BattleBots career, and every single one of those fights either ended with Gruff earning a knockout or the match going the full three minutes. There's just one match that didn't go the full three minutes. It's 2019 match against Endgame, which ended in two minutes and 59 seconds. Uh, So this is an incredibly, incredibly tough robot. Um, An interesting fact that we learned after this match Gruff is running a hybrid drive this season with two wheels running with brushed motors and two running brushless. Uh, That decision alone allowed the team to shave off 12 pounds, which they put into its mega torches. Whiplash driver Matt Vasquez is arguably the best in the sport and has really dialed in his bot to complement his driving style, repeatedly getting under Gruff, flipping it on its head, and attacking from above and below. Whiplash was in top form and earned a unanimous judge's decision here. Your thoughts on this really exciting main event. It was really fun. It was, it was, uh, it was a great match to kind of complement the episode and to, to wrap things up. Um, you know, we saw some, some great driving. Maddie, of course, was very, very aggressive um, and made sure that, you know, Gruff couldn't take that role of, of uh, being the aggressor of, um, of, of corralling uh, Whiplash and uh, because uh, Maddie was able to um, kind of stave off uh, Gruff's traditional aggressive role, uh, you know, he was, he was really able to, to strong arm him throughout the match. This was um, just textbook Whiplash. They mm. drove beautifully. They utilized their weapon in every way, shape, or form, and they outlifted a lifter bot. Mm. Perfectly done, uh, all the way around. Um, this was Matt Vasquez really uh, showing why he's at the dance and why he's so feared by all of the other builders. Yeah, um, in in our preseason interview with with Matt Vasquez and his family, um, you know, he said that. He has, well, A, 
<laughs> practices with the robot all the time. Is a fantastic driver already, and really customized Whiplash this season to really complement his driving style. And um, like every single season, they are dialing in this robot more and more and more. This is one of the most fun robots to watch. I wish that we could see Matt Vasquez like every other week, um, just because he's just a super fantastic competitor and um, it's just such, such a, such a joy to, to watch him work inside of the battle box. So um, I, I absolutely love this, this match. And that's it for this week's predictions, news and fight night recap. After the break, our interview with mammoth captain, Ricky Willems. This week on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Mammoth Captain Ricky Willems. By day, Ricky works as a product designer and engineer in Maryland. By night, he builds and fights combat robots up and down the East Coast. Incidentally, he's also the best combat robotics announcer we've ever seen, so watch out Chris and Kenny. In 2018, he built an early version of Mammoth, which fought at Robot Ruckus in Orlando before catching the eye of BattleBots. Mammoth is the biggest bot in BattleBots history after finding success with a similar design in the 12 and 30 pound weight classes. We're talking with Ricky following his fiery match in episode seven against Will Bales and Hypershock. Looking forward to learning more about Mammoth in the hour ahead. So welcome to the show, Ricky. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for the, uh, the high praise there. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I think there's, there's a lot of really remarkable things about your story. You know, Mammoth itself is a pretty remarkable bot. Um, you know, your your life history and kind of your experience so far on combat robotics is pretty remarkable. And uh, yeah, I mean, the announcer thing is is real. Like uh, Chris and Lindsay and Kyle and I, we we all went to Franklin Institute where you were announcing uh, their um, the the competition, and <laughs> we're sitting in the audience like like oh my god, like Ricky's really good at this. Like you should have a podcast, probably. You should have like a YouTube channel. You should absolutely be like a full time robot announcer. Like it, you've you've got a calling, you know. Like it's a it's a gift. I if someone comes along and gives me that opportunity, the moment COVID is up, I am going to be all over it. So I uh, I'll put that on my resume and I'll write you as a reference. <laughs> good. Very good. Um, all right. I'd, I'd love to, to go in, in reverse chronological order here and uh, kind of start from most recent to uh, to, to most distant. Sure. Um, and, and start with Hypershock because that match is fresh in everybody's minds. Oh, fresh it is. Uh, <laughs> keep the salt out of the wounds if we could, but uh, proceed if we must. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it's all right. So, okay. So, so you just had this this massive win over Huge, and uh, you know we we saw Huge just get punted out of the arena, which is something that people thought was not possible, and um, really saw like the toughness of Mammoth. And then the producers come to you a couple days after after that fight, and they tell you that you're going to be facing Will Bales and Hypershock. I'm curious, like, what is What's the strategy? You know, like when you kind of sit down with your team and you start talking about how how you face somebody like Hypershock, what what was that conversation like? Boy, you're giving us a lot of credit here. So what happened was I got a text message at two o'clock in the morning as I 
finished my uh, 20-hour day of repairing Mammoth saying, hey, did you know you're fighting Hypershock tomorrow? <laughs> and uh, I, and this was, seriously, I was in bed. I'd pulled the covers up, and I, I see that flash across my phone, and I was like, well, I've, I've, I've done it now. <laughs> I, we'll see what happens in the morning. Uh, because I had... I had told the producers before the season started, I would love to fight Hypershock. Mm. Um, so I had a feeling it was coming. And in fact, after fighting Huge, uh, my team asked me, who do we want to fight next? And I was like, you know, Hypershock is the right person, right? Is, is the right robot. Will mm. is the right person here. Um, they're high profile. They are um, iffy in performance they're either very on or very off uh hypershock is terrifying when it's working and when it isn't it's the perfect moment for someone to swoop in and get themselves a uh a tremendous amount of uh credibility and what's more is that i'd compared mammoth to hypershock in terms of how how fast it could drive a couple of times and um I'd set myself up as, you know, I would really like to get to the level of driving skill that, that Will has. So there were all these reasons why Hypershock was a great match. Uh, unfortunately, Hypershock working was one very good reason it was not such a great match. <laughs> so uh, I, I was excited and nervous and, and all the things that you would expect, I suppose, is the short answer. I'm curious, you know, when you think about the meta, you know, the rock, paper, scissors of of a bot like Mammoth going up against uh, a vertical spinner, hypothetically, Hypershock, you know? How, how does the rock, paper, scissors work? Like, I mean, what? how, how do you devise a winning strategy against a, a, against a, a spinner like that? So uh, it's a good question, right? Because I knew what happened last year when I fought vertical spinners uh, because we fought Wan Hu. And, and I told uh, Pete Abramson uh, at, at, uh, when we had that fight, he said, hey, what are you thinking? Because it was the end of the year. We didn't even know if that fight was going to be on TV. He said, what are you thinking? What's your strategy? I said, I'm going to try and play this through so I know what happens next year when we fight vertical spinners. And unfortunately, Mammoth changed so much that there was really no applicable knowledge. I had no idea what was going to happen. I had a plan. And to our credit, the we executed the plan. We That last big hit against Hypershock... Uh, where we went weapon to weapon, I smacked Hypershock exactly the way I wanted to smack him. And instead of Hypershock getting punted backwards, we flew up in the air and flew backwards into the wall. And and then he hit us and it was basically over. Um, so I, I know not to do that in the future. <laughs> it was a learning experience. And um, uh, thankfully we learned. So... Um, as we go on through other fights, you'll see we don't necessarily make the same mistake over and over again. Uh, but the, it also it also informed a lot of the things that we need to do different, not just through the rest of that season, but for, for next year when we upgrade Mammoth uh, to you know 2021. Did you feel like a, an underdog going into that fight? I mean, what what were uh, what what chances? I guess would you would you give yourself you know um, walking up into the the battle box? Um, with with Hypershock on the other side? I, you know, I gave myself a completely 50-50 shot in that fight. I really... Mm -hmm. and, and even now, if we went back and fought again, uh, knowing what I know now, 
I, I still would give us a 50-50 shot. Um, the unfortunate thing is that the 50% that we lose, we get absolutely destroyed and mangled every time. There's no losing a fight with Hypershock when you're fighting with Mammoth where you walk out intact. You know, you're you're going to get absolutely destroyed or you're going to just barely win. Um, mm. And that's that's the risk you run. Yeah. Um, I, I'd love to hear about your perception of the fight. You know, the the box is closed, the lights are going. You know, you're you're right about to 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 go charging into the uh, charging into the middle of the arena. You know, um, can you take us through that that fight, kind of like blow by blow, and then also again when when you watched it this past Thursday on TV with everybody else. You know, um, can you tell us like what 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 you saw? You know, I guess on on TV. Sure. Yeah, I going blow or I shouldn't say blow by blow, going minute by minute through the fight. Uh, I started off absolutely, you know, jittery with nerves, and as I as I progressed through, and I saw kind of Will's TV um, mannerisms coming out, I was like, okay, we gotta go big or go home. This is gonna be what it's gonna be. We're gonna we're gonna see how we do. And one of the things that got me was as soon as the fight started, I said, I, I, I had that, um, that Joe Bluth moment of, I, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> and I, I had turned down the speed of Mammoth um, for the fight against Huge because Mammoth is monstrously fast this year. Um, Mammoth was, I think, five miles an hour faster than Hypershock this year. But unfortunately, I'm not nearly as good a driver as Will is. Um, I'm learning. I'm getting there fast. But um, he's got a lot more experience than I do. So I, I turned the speed down to make it a little more controllable. And as soon as he started whipping around, I'm like, I would kill for that extra 15 miles an hour right now. <laughs> it would make all the day. At least would, would make it so that he couldn't get a good shot on me. And uh, that, that was my first impression. And as as he circled me through that match, I, I was looking for an opening, looking for an opening, and that's when I had my second I've made a huge mistake moment, which is there were a couple points where he uh, fainted. You know, he, he had a, a boxer move of, of give an opening, take it away, and counterpunch, and I fell for like three of those in a row. Mm. And one of those, one of those hits took off my front leg entirely that that whole he just chopped it entirely off uh and one of the ones before that he damaged it and as soon as those legs got damaged the way they did and i didn't know he was going to be able to to cut through them basically like butter um but as soon as he he cut them my ability to win that fight dropped 90 percent. it would have taken a miracle at that point um and at that point Bryce and I looked at each other. I think we both knew that was a, a do or die moment. So we drove right into him. Will drove right into us. We had this big weapon to weapon contact. Unfortunately, I was the one that went flying instead of Will going flying. And from there, it was just it was just a matter of moments before we were uh, <laughs> knocked over and uh, helplessly on our back. I, I do have a big point of pride in that our wheels never stop spinning. Uh, so they took out our our weapon, but um, 
if if for some reason we had gotten flipped over, even after the big last hit, we still would have been able to drive around the arena, um, which I, a little piece of me still wishes I'd asked for a second big hit at the end, because what would have been better than Mammoth just filling the entire arena with a smoke screen driving around like some sort of mammoth with its head cut off? <laughs> Literally mammoth with its with its trunk cut off, I suppose. Uh, this this is a really good segue into our first listener question, uh, which comes from Matt Davenport, who asks, what did you want Hypershock to do in that fight? Um, and, you know, I, I guess, uh, what, 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 were, what were you hoping um, you, you were going to see from, from, from Will Bales? Well, I mean, see, it's interesting. I'm not sure if he's referring to that that last hit or the entire fight in general, but the fight didn't go that far off from what I would have liked after the first few moments. The biggest thing that went wrong is we've got little wedgelets on the front of the robot, and I needed those to get under Will so that I could chuck him. And unfortunately, they broke like on the first contact. I drove into the right spot. They were supposed to get under Will. Uh, I say Will. They were supposed to get under Hypershock. They did not. And from that moment, every I was on the back foot. Everything was, okay, what do we do now? Try my best. Um, try to make an opening. Go at him from the side. Flip him over. If we had flipped him over, that really would have been the best case scenario. Um, he couldn't self-write in that fight. They were having uh, Will Bale's problems. And uh, which is to say just, you know, things weren't working for whatever reason. And if we could have capitalized on that and chucked him out of the arena, uh, we could have had some, some TV magic. But um, after that plan didn't work out, <laughs> it was see how long we can survive. Um, I, I, I also read it a little bit as kind of like that last hit. You know, uh, Will Bales is such a uh, precise driver that, uh, and Mammoth is such a giant robot that he chose to drive it right into your battery box. So maybe we could talk about that a little bit, you know. Um, is that, I'm assuming that's not what, what you wanted, you know. <laughs> it, it isn't. And here's, first off, I don't hold that against Will. I know Will feels sorry. I know he's... Um, I, I know he's penitent on on every social media thing I've seen. Uh, we had a giant uh, wall, giant COVID barrier in between the two teams. So he can't hear what I'm saying, and I can't hear what he's saying. The only thing that he saw or didn't see is the thumbs up and thumbs down. So the instructions of don't hit the battery box, there's no way he was going to get that in the moment. So I can't hold it against him if he hit that. And honestly, that's the biggest, juiciest part of Mammoth when it's upturned to hit. Like, that's the obvious. I might as well put a giant target on the back of Mammoth <laughs> and say, you know, weak point here with big glowing letters. But, um, yeah, I, I can't hold that up against him. It definitely wasn't what I wanted. But you think about Mammoth is, uh, what, it's 11 feet long. If... It's a it's a one foot section he could have hit. I had a one in eleven shot that he was going to hit the wrong spot, and he did. And I I made my gamble. It didn't pay off for me. That's okay. Uh, I I do think like it's kind of cool that um, I I I'm I'm so happy whenever I see builders have this like, do you want one more hit? And then they say yes. You know, like I just think like that's I don't know. It's like it's so good for the show. Like it's it's like the kind of gladiator style move you know that that the fans really love you know um 
So, so good on you for like not not tapping out and 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 allowing one more hit. Um, as long as it's not, you know, I don't know, a, a bounty fight or or some, I don't know, the top top four something where you got to really turn around the robot fast. We're all there for robot carnage. I I would love to see things get taken apart. I'm, I'm trying to think. Maybe it was a Mad Catter fight. There was a fight earlier in the season this season where they just absolutely picked one of the robots apart after it was destroyed and it um it was so refreshingly brutal uh i i love it when other robots do it i i really ought to do it myself so yeah i'm glad it's appreciated uh alexander archer is is curious about what happened after the fight and asks how long did it take you to rebuild mammoth after being destroyed by hypershock well, uh, we had to wait for several hours for the battery fire to go out. So as, as the TV folks said, it's, it's 15 pounds of LiPo batteries in there. And about 13 pounds of that was vaporized uh, over the course of a few hours. It burned and burned and burned. And they wouldn't let us open the box and get anything out. So, of course, it burned all the electronics in there. It burned the other stuff that was sitting in there. Uh, the outside of the box was practically glowing red. It was it was like 900 degrees because uh, they point a, a little thermometer at it and say, "How is this? Is this safe enough to touch?" Nope. Come back in an hour. Wow. Uh, and you could see them pumping smoke out of the arena and out of the area Mammoth was for you know, basically the rest of the evening. Uh, so that's that was the first step to rebuilding. And then uh, our, our very talented mechanical engineer, uh, Matt Bailey, went in and surgically removed a bunch of pieces and, and welded them in over the next couple of days. So it took um, it took us like four days to repair that there, I think. We moved to our second frame for a while um, and used that while we could. But it was, it was a lot of repair work. And it was never, it was never right again. You know, you can, you can do a lot to put it back into generally the right shape. It's one of the nice things about working with steel, but uh, it's never exactly the way it was before. So it was a long process. Thankfully, I got a great team. I want to move into um, another fight that you had this season with Huge. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to talk a bit about um, your match against Jonathan Schultz. And, you know, going into that fight, the odds weren't necessarily in your favor uh, every week we ask our listeners to send their predictions and just 14% of the fans uh, thought that mammoth would be able to defeat huge. Uh, how was your confidence level going into that fight? I was sitting, that was another 50, 50 fight. Um, I spent a bunch of time trying to help Jonathan and team huge out, get huge and trying to get huge running. They had a lot of trouble getting up to it. And I really wanted to make sure that they were 100% going into the fight because that's the fight everyone wanted. That was the fight we begged for all of last season. That's the fight that the fans wanted. And so both of us had spent a lot of time thinking about it and dreaming how, how cool that could be. They have a pretty intense weapon, but not a, um, not a weapon that could necessarily blow through our, our tubes. Uh, which we saw, and as soon as I realized that the the experimental floppy weapon was uh, was the right move, my my confidence really shot up. So, um, yeah, I I'd say we were sitting at 
maybe maybe more than a 50-50 shot. I think we went into that pretty confident. And it's funny you mentioned, uh, what would you say, 14% of your fans <laughs> thought That's we right. could win? Mm-hmm. So we put out a poll on our Facebook, and I think only 35% of our fans, 35% of people who are Mammoth fans, thought Mammoth could win. So uh, we were we were very pleased to defy expectations there. And and Jonathan and, and Team Huge are, are fantastic, and they're good friends, and they're a good team, and everyone wanted magic to happen. So I think everyone came away pleased. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to have a rematch anytime. I still think anything could happen in any given fight. So you, you brought into the fight this really interesting, flexible weapon. Can you tell us about that configuration, the decision that led to you bringing that into the match against Huge? Sure, yeah. Um, so that's a UHMW weapon. It uses black UHMW, which is a little... Uh, a little different, but pretty similar to what Huge uses on its wheels. And it, it bends, obviously. You could see it almost bend over on itself. And we've had titanium tips that we added to the um, to the tips of that to, uh, to engage and hook on and that sort of thing. We had never tried that weapon. It had done absolutely no testing with it. The first time we spun it up was in the test box uh, a few hours before the fight. And I thought that would be a good choice simply because I knew it could take a hit. I knew Huge's weapon could hit that plastic all day long and it would just bounce around and it would be fine. The downside was, and downside depending on who you are and how you look at it, uh, it was going to bend a lot when it hit Huge, which meant (laughs) that meant that Huge was going to jump up in the air a little bit and Mammoth was going to jump up in the air a lot. I didn't know we'd be doing front flips, but at the same time, I knew we were going to pop up in the air quite a bit more than we would have otherwise. Um, so it was a learning experience is the short answer. It, uh, I think that weapon really proved its worth. It really gave us a lot of ideas for next year on what we can do for better weapons. And it paid off. It was a gamble, but it paid off. So you had, a, you had an inkling that there would be some acrobatics, but what actually happened... Uh, I believe I described it in our following episode. It was like watching an ep- like a like a show, a uh, Cirque du Soleil, uh, <laughs> high flying. <laughs> maybe maybe even like an like an aerodrome show. Uh, there was I feel like the, the bot spent more time in the air than it actually did, you know, wheeled and on the ground. What was your reaction to just to not really knowing that it was going to be such a taekwondo match? Like how how like how like what are you doing emotionally there? I. You know, I think this is a family-friendly show, so just just like BattleBots, I think they cut out a few of my initial reactions to that first flip because it, it came down... Well, first it popped up in the air, and um, I had that freeze-frame moment of uh, how did I get myself into this mess? And it landed, and I had no... I thought, I thought for sure, okay, robot's broken, it's dead, it's over, uh, I'm not going to move again, it's going to come... Huge is going to just plow around and, and smack into me. Uh, and thankfully, I didn't give myself that half a second because I, I just immediately started driving. I was like, okay, we're still going. That's fine. And I think by the second time it happened, it was like, okay, we our math holds up. The robot can handle being dropped from 10 feet in the air because that was a an important part of us designing it. We said, we're, we know we're going to end up in the air at some point. This needs to be able to survive a quite a big drop. 
And uh, yeah, I think by like hit two or three, I I switched from what is going on to bring it on. And and that was kind of a I don't know, it was a magic moment in the match where I went from just shock and awe to drive and determination to win. Mm. And, and you can see it when you watch the match. Uh, and, and Kenny comments on it where we go from exploratory sparring to me chasing huge around the, the arena, trying to make sure he no, doesn't spin up his weapon again. Um, so it's it's always neat to see your mindset fold out in front of you on TV when you watch it back. Mm. I have a question here from Alexander Archer who wants to know if you built Mammoth to be taller than huge. Not specifically. It wasn't... Huge was an inspiration. I've said this a couple times. Huge was an inspiration because... Not because they were a big robot. They were an inspiration because I saw what Jonathan did with smaller robots and working his way up and building something different and having this uh, meta-breaking approach all while circumventing the, the rat race that is trying to build the best wedge vert. And like I said, that, that was an inspiring thing to me. But the fact that Mammoth is bigger than huge is, is really just a, a coincidence. The I built the smaller versions of Mammoth and I looked at how much they weighed and I multiplied that out to say how much could, how big could we make a, um, a 250 pound version of this. And once my brain realized it was six feet tall, suddenly I said, I, well, I, I have to do this. This, <laughs> this all makes sense. So it, um, the design started coalescing before, before I realized how large it was going to be before I realized it was going to be larger than huge. Well, if you ever do build a, a Walker version of, of mammoth, you know that you'll probably be scraping the ceiling. Yeah, <laughs> I, the um, the files are on my computer. So uh, one of the things we will find out is uh, if I have enough free time in my life uh, to bring a Walker version to Norwalk, uh, you know, a 30-pound Walker version. Um, and if if by chance I do, I'm sure you'll see something like that at at, uh, at BattleBots in the future. If if I did bring a Walker, though, the um, something I would do that I don't think anyone else is likely to do is it would be a modular walker. So you wouldn't know when you drew Mammoth as an opponent whether or not we were going to show up with the 500-pound walker or if we were going to show up with the 250-pound wheeled robot, which I think would just absolutely screw with my opponent's heads in, in, a, in a really marvelous way. So that's that's the the appealing part <laughs> for me, is, is how much can I put the other person on their back foot um, when they're preparing to fight me. So this is a good segue. I want to go into the 2020 build mm. of Mammoth. Um, so tell us about this version of Mammoth. What's new this season? What did you learn from your 2019 build? Well, uh, the biggest things that we learned from the 2019 build is probably the easy place to start. And there, let's see. There are probably the three big things we learned is your robot needs to be faster. Mm. Uh, Mammoth was way too slow last year, and it wasn't even reliable in its slowness. So 
the drive system was not only slow, it was it was prone to breaking. It really only lasted one match on each set of motors reliably. Uh, so we upgraded that this year. We we went from about one horsepower on each wheel and eight miles an hour to uh, ten horsepower on each wheel and thirty miles an hour. So and and pretty bulletproof. I mean, the motors and the drive system we had. Um, well, I can't tell you if we had no problems or or limited problems or what because I don't want to spoil anything. But I was very pleased with how they worked out. Uh, we also realized we needed way more power. I used a lot of kind of ideal uh, equations in figuring out the performance that Mammoth was supposed to have last year, and I realized how much ideal specifications and, and that sort of thing go out the window. So we we upped the power. I, I know people like to mention that we've got Bite Force's old motors in there, but um, we were running, I think, a little more than twice the power that Paul ran and that's four times the power that we had last year, um, which which finally seems to make Mammoth behave like 12-pound baby shoes behaves, which is bounce around, throw other people around, do, makes, make for some entertaining fights. Uh, and the last thing we figured out was we need better front legs, tusks, whatever you want to say. If we're going to throw another robot across the arena, we need to have something to brace ourselves on the front Otherwise, we're just going to end up doing front flips all the time. Because we came back and we took last year's Mammoth. And I retrofitted on the new motors. And we had this like 325-pound behemoth. And without those front legs added onto the front, it still, even at 350 pounds, would, would front flip all over the place. Mm. And that's with that's with weights that are far less than a battle bot. So... Uh, those front legs you see with the titanium tootsies at the end, the um, that, that reach out, that was a uh, really a game-changing mechanism for how the robot would work and how it would drive. Outriggers, man, outriggers always help. Well, um, how did until, you get... until they get cut off by hypershock. Well, yeah, until I mean, you know, nothing really helps when that that's the situation. Yeah. Um, how did you acquire the Bite Force motors? That's a question we got from several of the listeners. I, um, I'm trying to remember if I reached out directly. I think what happened was I bought one motor, um, from a, uh, uh, from an online store. I think I might've bought it from, may have bought it from the robot marketplace, Jim Smentowski's website. Um, anyhow, I was going to come to. BattleBots when it was originally scheduled to, to be held, and I wasn't sure whether or not I could afford buying two additional motors. So I posted on some of the builders groups and um, and, and whatnot uh, online, and Paul Paul messaged and said, hey, I have, I have two of those. Uh, in fact, a few different teams mentioned. Uh, so Team Hijinks, uh, they said they had a few... A couple other people did too. Uh, quite a few people came forward and said, "Hey, we'll we'll sell you this at a discount." And um, Paul was the one who would be able to send them out in the best time frame at the uh, the most reasonable price. And to boot, that they had been well tested and they had been well battle hardened. Uh, it everything just came together. You're not going to get much more reliable motors than ones that Paul has worked on. So I, I seriously, I have a motor that is brand new, 
from the factory, the first one that we bought, and then I had the motor from Paul. And the motor from Paul was cleaner and in more pristine shape than the brand new one from the factory. And I don't know how he did that. But he did that. There's there's absolutely no mystery in why Paul is um, building the best of the best robots. It's because he is putting the time and energy and attention to detail in that so many of us... Uh, We'll just say we're too excited to put that level of care in sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Paul controls himself, and, and he, he reaps the benefits every time. So uh, pretty famously, 2019, a mammoth cost you about $3,000 to make. They mentioned it on the show. It got mentioned on the internet a whole bunch. In 2020, how much is a mammoth? Ooh, it's, it's hard to say this year because we spent money on different things and we built a prototype mammoth in the off season and we built two and a half of them and, and all these sort of things. If you, if we had to build another mammoth right now, we could probably build another mammoth right now for about $5,000. But if you total all the money we spent uh, to get to this point, it's about $15,000 a mammoth. Wow, that's uh, that's still a bargain. It's not All bad. Yeah, that's and great. it's it's um, the nice thing so far is that it has been very hard to completely destroy a mammoth, and you'll see as the season goes on. There's a lot of things where we get hit, and you wonder, are they going to be able to come back from that? And my team and I. Uh, not to toot our own horns, but we did a good job at figuring out how are we going to make this something that we can repair on site in the pits in a couple of days. Uh, we've got a lot to learn because, unfortunately, um, that took up way too much of our time. And there's a million things we could have designed better to be quicker to repair. But uh, uh, it's a flexible design. It's a design that, that lets us stay in the game longer. Um, which I, as the season goes on, really becomes an important thing. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. One of the questions we also got from our fans uh, pretty frequently, and this one, you know, this wording is from Alexander Archer, but uh, he was not the only one that asked this. How much weight can Mammoth flip with that rotating arm? Could you possibly flip over a 500-pound chomp? Uh I don't want to come off sounding cocky here, but uh, a 500-pound chomp would absolutely not phase Mammoth this year. Uh, so I think the math is we've got 7,000 foot-pounds of torque on the weapon. And depending on where you hit the, uh, the opponent, uh, we've got about, you know, it's a little more than a three-foot um a three-foot lever arm, and if you divide that out, it basically ends up being 2,300 pounds that we can lift. So almost five chomps. Wow. Yeah. All right. If you hit the right spot, you could lift five chomps. If we hit the right spot, we could lift five chomps. Our batteries would be absolutely screaming if we tried to do that. We could probably only do it once. But, um, but yeah. 
All right, so we have a question from Copperhead team member Luke Quinn, who asks, oh. yeah, we like Luke too. Yeah. Um, this season, Mammoth is using a custom-made high-current ESC for the flipper. How does one go about designing such a device? I love this question, so I'm really excited about your answer. So uh, it's, it's fun here. Uh, my first job out of college was designing high-impulse, high-power uh, power supplies for military hovercraft. And those power supplies would dump thousands of amps um, through semiconductors that were really not designed for doing that. And I, I got to know a lot of those, um, a lot of those parts kind of intimately and figure out, well, if we're only doing this for a split second at a time, how can we abuse some of these, these manufacturer recommendations and, and get the absolute most out of it, which is really the theme for all of mammoth, right? There's, no way in the world the motor that we have in Mammoth should be putting out 100 horsepower, but we get away with it because we have very... The length of a flip is a very short period of time, right? Uh, and if we're not actively flipping someone, there's really no load on, on the motor hardly at all just to spin the, the thing at a slow speed. Um, I should also say we, we got a lot of help this season from our, our new sponsor, Altium. So Altium makes uh, software that... Uh, helps you design and simulate uh, electronics. Uh, so, and not to uh, take away from Altium Shine, but there's other ways you could do it. Uh, but Altium made it pretty easy to uh, to go in and design electronics this year. So, we're really pleased to have have them supporting us. And um, yeah, yeah, it was a uh, it was something we early on we said that our contactors. We're probably going to be a questionable um, choice to go through the year with um, because they they have failure modes, especially when you get to that high high power. Um, I'm not going too technical here, am I? I never know. Like, oh, no, you're totally fine. Okay, totally good, good. Uh, I didn't think anything was too too jargony, but um, uh, yeah, yeah. I guess the support of Altium and some some very specific prior knowledge. Uh, and the fact that you know our, our motor for our weapon is just basically a um, it's a big DC motor, so we don't have to do anything fancy with supplying power to it. You just turn it on or off, and frankly, doing the electronics for turning it on or off, or in our case, reversing it on occasion, it is relatively easy. Um, I did not know the military had hovercraft. Yeah, yeah, it's um. It was a it was a really fun project to be honest. We oh, sure. we designed de-icing systems so that they could uh, drive their carbon fiber hovercraft in the Arctic, um, you know, without having it covered in ice and sink to the bottom of the ocean. So that's so cool. Um, I really like that. All right. So next question from one of our listeners is: What's the general strategy behind Mammoth in the rock paper scissors of BattleBots? What's the type of bot that Mammoth is designed to fight? It is funny that someone would ask that. So when I first dreamed up the rotary flipper robot, the robots that I wanted to fight most were horizontal spinners. Huh. Um, the idea with a horizontal spinner is watch any fight with um, 
Valkyrie or with Tombstone or something like that, and watch what happens when that horizontal spinner gets off kilter. They jitter around, they smack off the floor, they smack into a wall, and... They, like, did, did, did across the floor in the box, too, which is one of my favorite things that horizontal spinners do. Yep, and every once in a while, one of those dits leads to a smashed or shattered weapon blade. Yeah. And I thought if we could have something that could flip, reliably flip one of these horizontal spinners up, that would put on an awesome spectacle. And originally I thought, how can I flip it up with kind of a, you know, a biohazard or a, um, a four bar linkage, lucky kind, you know, lucky, the, the robot kind of thing. And I realized that there was no way I was going to hit a horizontal spinner with something that had to be timed so precisely and something that if I missed was just going to be beheaded. So why not build something that could, you know, try and flip over and over and over and over again with no hesitation in between. And, and that was the genesis of the, the rotary flipper idea. Um, so, so there you go. It originally, it was designed to fight horizontals and, we have had a lot of, of interesting success and a lot of interesting failures on, on the way to testing that. <laughs> um, so what are 2020 Mammoth's weaknesses? Like, in theory, what could you build on Mammoth to fix those weaknesses? Ah, yes, yes. This, uh, this has been the topic of much conversation because we are currently designing 2021 Mammoth and, and getting the... Uh, the I wants and the I needs laid laid out for for how to improve. So we need a weapon. Uh, we saw in the hypershock fight that our weapon was not strong enough to take direct hits from a from a vertical spinner. Um, mm. We hit them just the way we wanted to hit them, and instead of us launching them, uh, we got launched, and at the same time, our weapon just cracked and sheared. Uh, and in fact, the weapon sitting out in the um, the barn here. It, it looks horrifying because the the steel shattered in a way that you don't see sh steel shatter. Um, it it had like a nonsensical break pattern that had to do with all the microstructures of the steel as it was um, as it was formed, and it's really neat. Uh, so we need better weapons. We need weapons that are tailored to our opponent. And one of the things we want to do in 2021 is show up to every opponent with a weapon that is tailored to that opponent. So that means probably showing up with five or six different weapons instead of just uh, two or three that we had this year. Uh, we need better traction. So we spent a lot of time making Mammoth faster this year uh, without spending a lot of time figuring out whether or not we could put that power to the ground. I got mm. into the battle box and it was like ice skating. So we need better tires. We need some, probably some fancy go kart tires, a lot like what uh, what Hypershock has. Yeah. Um, we also need to figure out just just a hair more. Uh, I won't say armor, but a hair more structural rigidity. Uh, there's a few points where we take a hit that should have been a shrug off hit that turned into something that was a big deal to fix. Uh, and there's a few things I can't quite talk about yet that we'll we'll see as the the season goes along. But thankfully, they're easy fixes. We we basically went into 2020, upgraded all the major weaknesses from from 2019, and we realized 
that there were a dozen other things that we should have updated to keep up with the new power and speed and basically everything we changed had a bunch of supporting modifications that should have been done that the only way to find out was to take it into the battle box and test it oh man have you um have you considered talking to Riobots about getting some brazil wheels <laughs> the the topic has come up uh they weigh a lot mm. um we we could do it but we would have to make mammoth smaller and I don't know if people really want to go for a smaller mammoth. I mean, yeah, even if it's, that. yeah. I, what is it really intimidating if it's only five feet tall? <laughs> no, nobody wants to. Uh, no, no offense to Kenny Florian, but um, <laughs> no, I, he's, he's not that short. Um, he's an intimidating man at any size. So, <laughs> so now that we've talked about your run on BattleBots this year, last year. Uh, let's kind of go back in time and learn a little bit about your introduction into combat robotics. So you were a kid, obviously, during the original run of BattleBots. Uh, back when you used to watch, did you ever see yourself competing on the show in the future? Yeah, yeah. I, honestly, uh, a part of me is still surprised I, I wasn't on the show back then. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time uh, first, first, you know, dreaming and drawing up things and then building and dumpster diving and um, hacking together what I could trying to get on the show. So um, I, I've, I've said before, uh, a lot of the things that I learned back then and my, a lot of my introductions into robotics um, came from BattleBots, came from Junkyard Wars, came from uh, a couple of these TV shows that really showed what you can do with um, some time, some creativity, and, and a lot of know-how. Yeah, that's, I think, such a, a great story. I mean, we, we've heard it from you. We've heard it from several other builders. But I think the more, um, you know, that, that gets out there, the younger generation who, who, you know, listens and looks up to everybody like you on the show, they can start to see themselves, you know, doing this in the future. So um, I, I, I just always love hearing stories like yours. Um, so, you know, back when you were a kid and you watched, who were your favorite bots from the original series and uh, and why'd you love them? Uh, my, my two top robots uh, were Biohazard and Nightmare. Those were my two absolute favorites out of the bunch. Um, I, I maybe would, would call in... With Nightmare, I, in my you know childhood mind, I, I wrapped in uh, Backlash. It's, you know, it's Team Nightmare, so um, the big giant vertical spinners of the of the day, and that influenced a lot of what Mammoth turned into. You know, uh, if you combine a giant vertical spinner with a lifter robot, you get Mammoth. Uh, so, in, in a lot of ways, I really look at Mammoth as uh, a modern combination of biohazard and nightmare. So, uh, and the other big robot that, um, or the other robot that really stirred my fancy back then, uh, was scrap daddy. So, or, or there was a series of robots called scrap daddy, but, um, being built out of junk and I, I didn't have a lot of resources at my time and robot building now is so, so much more accessible. Uh, than it was back then. Uh, the cost just to get a radio set up back then was um, was quite intense, uh, let alone the 
the hobbyist parts just weren't around. So you were building things from scrap a lot of the time and seeing scrap daddy uh, and hearing them talk about how it was built on a tiny budget out of stuff they pulled out of junkyards um, really made me feel like, like it was an accessible, attainable goal and, and something that I could do in my weekends and my summers. So. So uh, Mammoth is not your first spot. You, uh, you know, er earlier you um, built a 12 pounder called Baby Shoes and then the 30 pounder called Stiletto. Can you tell us a little bit about those bots and, and where you fight them? Sure, sure. And, and I'll say too, you know, those were my first competitive robots, I should say. But I've, I have been building robots a long time uh, before that, including combat robots. Um, I had a little um, six-pound robot called uh, Escher's Dream that I, I really enjoyed, a little drum bot. Uh, I had a lifter bot that was absolutely terrible, made of wood, called Real Sturdy. Uh, and then I had my own um, competitions, uh, local competitions with friends and things for, for some years before that, uh, before I got to the point of doing baby shoes and, and stiletto. Uh, baby shoes came about... Uh, let's see. That was that was a barn battles event. So um, uh, up in Pennsylvania, um, a shop in PA. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, they would have a um, a hobby weight uh, sportsman event. Not even sportsman. You know, open top sumo event. And I built baby shoes in I don't know a Saturday. I think from parts I had laying around. Uh, some of the parts on there were like tractor parts from the 1940s. So. And some old Black and Decker uh, drill motors, and and just junk I had laying around, really. And it was such a, it was such a silly, strange thing that I couldn't help but build another. And when I built another, that suddenly went from being strange and unusual to being hilarious and unpredictable. And that was just too much temptation to take something that's hilarious and unpredictable and turned into something that's hilarious, unpredictable, and a force to be reckoned with. Um, so I built another, and I built another, and it, it uh, I don't know, it was this domino effect uh, that pulled me deeper and deeper and, and uh, really helped me make some great friends and, and get pulled into this robot community that I'd always known about, but I'd never gotten, I'd never dove into. I was always on the outskirts uh, because suddenly I had something that I had built that was noticeable and, and iconic is too strong a word, but it was, it was a signature thing for me that stuck out. And when I, I think it's when I built the 30 pounder, when I built stiletto and I took it to Franklin Institute the first time that it went from being a spectacle in the arena to being a spectacle out of the arena. It was something people would come over and builders who had far, far greater right uh, to be there and be talked about than me were coming over and commenting and, and asking questions and um, uh, Alex Horn was there. Um, who's, who's been on a, a number of teams, but you would have recognized him as the, the driver last year of sub zero, maybe. Uh, he came over with one of Huge's wheels and was like, look, look, like your 30-pounder is bigger than Huge. 
and you know the huge huge the, the 250 pound robot and it was bigger <laughs> than the wheels and i don't know that that cinched it at that point uh, at that point i was like okay I'm, I'm addicted i've got the bug i i can't back out now i've, I've gone too far <laughs> there's no way there's no way out but through and that wasn't the moment that i i knew i was going to get on battle bots but it was definitely the moment that i knew um robots were going to be a much bigger part of my life than they had been for the last few years that's awesome are there things that you um enjoy or get to experience about fighting in in the lower weight classes that don't necessarily come with fighting a heavyweight uh there's a few there first off it's everyone is there to have a good time and everyone is the, i shouldn't say everyone there there are people who come to win and people who are intense uh and even those people though are there for a good fight almost all the time uh i i had a match um I had a match, for instance, with Baby Shoes uh, against Jameson Go and and his robot. Uh, what was it called? Tuscan Raider. And Tuscan Raiders is a neat little robot. Uh, and we started, and Baby Shoes had some some problem right out of the gate. And Jameson goes, no, oh, stop, 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 stop. Fix, fix, fix your robot. Reset it. Do what you need to do. Um, but I, I don't want to have a good fight. You know, uh, I'd like to win, but. You know, I want this to be entertaining. I want to have a good time. And not that the builders wouldn't allow that kind of thing to happen on BattleBots, but it's just not possible. So that kind of authentic love for what you're doing um, really comes to the forefront in smaller weight classes in a way that it, it just isn't practical for, for a TV show. So I really like that. Um, I also really like seeing the new blood and the the oddball things that show up. Um, my first Mantis weight event, um, was it bot brawl? Yeah, another event in Pennsylvania. Uh, I showed up and I brought uh, a six pound drum robot and Joe from Smee was there with a robot that he had 3d printed and had all these neat features on it. And I had no idea who's going to go on to, to build SME and neither did he. Um, this was before even like three pounds SME existed. Uh, but I knew this was a guy who was building a bunch of cool robots just because he thought it was just because he thought that was neat. And there was another uh, man. He's one of the, one of my favorite people I've met. Um, not that I, and I don't know him as a, as a friend or anything, but he was one of the favorite people I've met. Is uh, this, old guy i don't know his name uh, but an older gentleman who shows up uh to every event with a robot called rock uh it was like a three pound rock six pound rock whatever the weight class is it's just that pound rock uh and it's it's just a bunch of steel spot welded with a stick welder together on top of rc cars but he shows up every time and he shows up with like two or three equally old women you know I, I don't know 80s 90s but he's there and he's just the sweetest person and he's throwing something in the ring to see what happens and to have a good time and there's something really wholesome and and magic and engaging about seeing those kind of people show up nothing gets me 
more excited than seeing a robot go into the arena that was the best that person can do from whatever situation they're in, whether it was they didn't have money, they didn't have time, they didn't have the experience, and watching them get an experience that could never be duplicated is completely unique and and organic to that situation. It's um, it's it's really a neat to, neat feeling to watch, and it's even neater when when you're the one having that experience. That's awesome, and I think uh, kind of leads nicely in uh, to another question. Yeah, uh, which is do you do you have a message for people who are thinking about getting into the sport and and who want to you know feel that feeling? Yeah, um, definitely do it. Uh, there's uh, like I said earlier, there has never been a more accessible time to build um, to build a robot. It's the parts that are out there for the RC car world, for the drone world, for the um, electric skateboard world make things so much easier than they ever have been before. And there's such a knowledge base and there's such a community built around Facebook and Reddit and these these online hubs of, of knowledge and so many people willing to help. Uh, you know, COVID aside, there's a there's a dearth, unfortunately, of of events because of that. But if it weren't for that, uh, this is the last few years have been the the robot renaissance. So get involved. If you're wondering how to do it, I really really recommend people start um, in either the twelve pound weight class or the three pound weight class. To me, the twelve pound weight class is like the the sweet spot of you can still build this with junk and have something competitive where you don't have to have any special tools and you don't have to worry about, you know, tiny fractions of a pound. Um, but unfortunately it's kind of a rare weight class. So three pound is kind of the go-to place. Uh, and, and further than that, just, just build something. Uh, it, expect, you know, don't, don't put any more money into it than you're not willing to, to burn, but, um, Build something as soon as you can. Um, the only thing I'd do before you get building is go to an event or two and watch it and talk to people, ask questions, see what you like, see what tickles your fancy, see what gets your imagination going, and then build what you love. Um, there's there's people out there who are going to want to fight and have the most competitive robot in the world, and if that's what you love to do, then go out and stock uh stock other teams and figure out what works and if you want to build something that is uh different and unusual do that um decide what part of robots what part of combat robots really appeals to you and only let yourself be the guide on on what you're going to build and why because uh, there's a lot of reasons to get into this there's a lot of paths to go down uh, but there's no reason in building something for for someone else. <laughs> so any any bit of advice you get, um, take it with uh, with a lens of how does this help me build what is the absolute coolest robot from my eyes. That is fantastic advice, and and thank you for sharing that. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there who uh, who can get some um, you know some some guidance from that. Um, oh, good. Yeah, so we, we have a, a couple more questions from fans here. Mm -hmm. Jake 
person asks, are you sad about the relative lack of mammoth puns? I'm wholly upset by it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I needed that in my life. There's, um, don't worry, there's no shortage of mammoth puns uh, here on the home front. Uh, <laughs> now, we'll we'll see. The, um, the Farouk introductions and the, yes, we miss the puns. Uh, we miss the jokes. Uh, I think optimistically maybe they're saving them for later Ooh, all right i like the sound of that <laughs> yeah i miss i miss having the full farouk intros uh throughout the episodes but uh hopefully maybe for the finals we'll get them um so uh matt hedger asks why don't you have a mini bot called sid <laughs> so um first off that's a great idea uh the this conversation came up uh, in a in another podcast actually, and uh, I think the the conclusion we came to was that our mini bot would be named Topsy. So we have a little stuffed animal named Topsy, and uh, Topsy is named after unfortunately one of the uh, elephants of antiquity. So you can uh, look up the the fate of of Topsy. Um, I guess in the early 1900s, late 1800s, uh, but uh, is named in honor of, of that elephant. So that uh, that would probably be our approach. I'm not sure what our I'm not sure what our mini bot would be though. Um, I'd be worried that Sid might be a little slow. I think historically Sids are um, a little slovenly. Yeah, that's that's what I'm going for. Um, I'm trying to make a sloth joke, people. That's the idea. That's <laughs> what I'm trying to say, is that I'm worried that our sloth robot would be slow. I'd say you could have a drone, but I think Mammoth would just knock into it in the air. You know, there are worse things. <laughs> um, and then to, to round us out, we have a seven-part question from Mary oh, Catherine Carr. I know, she she brings... Oh, well, it's, it's anything from Mary Catherine Carr. <laughs> so first off, does Mammoth ever make you feel short? It, you know what? Hmm. It's funny because it's only as tall as we say it is when the weapon is straight up. So as soon as I walk up to it and the weapon isn't, my brain goes, oh, I'm taller than this six foot four thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in a way, it's a little bit of a boost. Um Plus, it's it's a little bit of an extension as your your person, so it makes you feel um, like you tower over the opponent. That's that's hilarious. Um, so, when did Bryce become a hair model? He's really had to glow up for season five. You know, didn't he though? Um, Bryce, we so we went onto lockdown, right? And uh, we had a couple of months there where we didn't get any work done on the robot or I, I worked on it a little bit, but the team didn't get to meet up and he shows up one day with a van to pick up or drop off some parts. And he steps out of his car and there was this like, I don't know, Baywatch style moment where there's kind of like a slow motion hair tossle, uh, and like beard is coming through in the sunlight. And I was like, I don't know what you're using as product, but keep doing it, Bryce. You're going to look fantastic on TV. And um, he, he did. I, that COVID hair took uh, took him from, you know, average Joe to um, uh, average Favio, I guess. 
<laughs> Maybe uh, whatever project he's using in his hair uh, can be a sponsor for next year. <laughs> there we go. I think, I think the product is mostly quarantine. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully that gets to end. Hope, yeah, hopefully they're out of business by next year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so what are some of your favorite bits on Mammoth? Ooh, um, let's see here. It's got to be the titanium Tootsies. It's just so fun to say. Uh, the eyeballs are also pretty fun. When you say bits, I'm assuming they mean like actual physical parts of the robot, not like skits that we do off to the side. But um, we do have a we do have a few um, few videos coming out soon, so you'll have to watch out for those that are mammoth bits in the other sense of the the word. Ooh, fun! What yeah, I I think everyone's really going to enjoy it because it they answer some uh, age old, often answered, often asked questions uh, from the internet. So. Uh, keep an eye out. Oh, will do. Um, so how does it feel having the greatest fight of all time? Huge versus mammoth, obviously. Oh, my, my heart grew through sizes. I, it was great, wasn't it? <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I don't know how many times I watched it. Cause it was, it was one thing being there. And honestly, it's one of those fights where I, I wish we could have had the audience for it because it was killer in person. Um, they seemed like they were jumping so much higher in person. Uh, if you believe it, the, the TV cameras really don't do justice to the size of Huge and Mammoth because they're coming from an angle that like minimizes their size. Uh, when they're in the arena compared to everything else, they're just they're towering. Um, but uh, when, when I saw the reaction it got and when I've heard some of the fans reach out, uh, it made the whole season worth it. There, last year... When we fought Axe Backwards, we had a moment right after, and, and Bryce looked at me, and he pretty much mirrored the same thing I was saying. He was like, well, this is already better than last season. Um, it's worth it. I can go home happy. And I, I thought the same thing, and I thought the same thing after the huge fight. Like That was so good, and I was so proud of the robot and the team and the show we put on that if I had to go home right there, it it would not have been a waste. It, it totally would have been worth it. That fight was, was truly just pure joy. Like it, it, I mean, I don't think I would have ever thought I'd be smiling so hard watching huge lose because I love huge, but it was just so fun and great. And it was just such a, a, a great match. And again, just like pure, pure joy. So I think, um, you know, Moments like that are what we need uh, during uh, these these crazy times. So I still go back and like rewatch that fight because I think it's it's just so fun. So, and you know the best part is there's a pretty good chance, depending on how they seed things in the future, uh, in uh, you know season 2021, uh, that we could have another chance and recreate the magic. And by that time, Mammoth is going to have some. Pretty substantial upgrades, and we have a chance to turn up the turn up the crazy another couple notches. Oh man, oh man! I mean, that's a fight I would happily watch on every episode because I think <laughs> it could be different, like a hundred different ways. <laughs> I that that might. I don't want to wear out a good thing, but. Um, <laughs>
That's fair. That's fair. But I do. Uh, I I keep my fingers crossed for next year and see uh, see what Mammoth could bring. Um, so, um, what do you anticipate being Hydra's Mammoth Guard, and how would you counter it? You know, Hydra would um, would put us in a hard spot. They um, they're very low to the ground. They are relatively well armored, and our strategy going into a fight against Hydra that may or may not have happened uh, would be to do the same thing that they did to Huge, which is come out swinging with something that they have no way to prepare for and no way to counter. So we would not go into a fight with Hydra um, the way they would expect. And I would like to think that that would mean anything that they do is really going to be a moot point. That said, I feel like all they would have to do if we didn't have some sort of secret, super secret, ultra secret plan B was uh, put a post up on the front of their robot so that we can't drive over them. And as soon as they do that, um, they could probably, they could probably get a good measured flip on us over and over again. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Mammoth jackets when? So we started an Indiegogo for Mammoth jackets, and we didn't get a single response. Now we didn't publicize it all that much, but we did send it to a few few folks. Oh, um, no. it, yeah, it's it's all right. I the Mammoth jackets are are hand um, emblazoned by the team members, so they are. They're quite a bit of work, and we kind of worried that the price point, it, they'd be like $200, $250 a person, and, and that feels like a lot to ask fans for. Um, so uh, I don't know. If, if people keep crying for them, then we'll make it happen for uh, 2021 or like late 2020. But but right now, I I don't know. It just doesn't seem like enough people would want them to to make it something that we can afford yeah well i don't want to put words in luke's mouth but i'm pretty sure he would be interested <laughs> um and then last question here does tens ride mammoth to work every day not every day some days it's raining or snowing um you know it's, it's not a practical daily driver <laughs> Uh, oh this is it's just been so great talking to you ricky and and learning more about mammoth and and um you know all of your experience so thank you so much for for all of your answers and your stories and it's just been so great so we're really looking forward to seeing mammoth in the battle box again soon and seeing how the season turns out for you oh thanks so much we done already yeah <laughs> all right well i am happy to be on i would be happy to come back anytime and i appreciate uh you and the whole crew being ardent supporters of of mammoth uh, almost from the beginning yeah can't can't thank you enough for that after the break we'll return with this week's installment of robots around the world Welcome back from the break. Time for robots around the world. This week we're traveling to Maryland where U.S. Army engineers are building robots that use living tissue for their mechanical joints in hopes of making tougher and more flexible robots. 
The engineers are focusing first on walking robots, sounds familiar, which can, uh, which can break easily if they slip and fall, just like me. By putting organic tissue in the robot's joints, the goal is to make robots that require less maintenance and can keep up with their human counterparts. So uh, I've actually not heard of, uh, of this development before, so this is a, a lot to process. Um, what, what are your thoughts on this, you guys? Have, have these people never had human tissue? Like, like, it breaks all the time. Right. <laughs> and then, like, as you get older, it does not become more durable or reliable. It only requires more maintenance. Yeah. 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 I, I question. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think the idea is that um, with, with a mechanical joint, you need to have a very precise kind of range of motion. And if you're running up the stairs or something like that, that's great if the stairs are totally clear. But if there's a banana peel or if there, you know, you accidentally step on a pencil or something like that and tweak your mechanical knee, um, it's really easy to, to incapacitate a robot where, um, you know, if you have some living tissue in there instead, it has a bit more give. You can kind of go left or right, you know, um, when you're navigating uh, strange terrain. I will say too, it's not human tissue. Uh, this article says that they, um, they're experimenting with all sorts of cells. So um, they might put a fly's kind of wing tissue inside of a robot's knee or um, kangaroo's tissue uh, or something like that um, and grow it inside of a lab, put it inside of a robot. Pretty interesting. I was going to say, like, are, are they getting the tissue from cadavers or what? So, okay, that makes a little more sense. Lindsay, they're, they're putting computers right into uh, dead bodies and uh, sending them out to uh, fly helicopters <laughs> and stuff. You know what? I, I'm sure somewhere they are. <laughs> just kidding. Totally. It, just not related to this at all. And we may cut this, but... Um, have you seen on Netflix, like one of the top movies this week is uh, what is it called Outside the Wire? Did you, did you guys watch this? It's like a action movie where they have fighting robots. In no. The no. What? What? Okay. Yeah. They have like bipedal, like, you know, army robots in this, this movie. Um, and it's hands down the coolest part of this movie, which was terrible. Like, uh, Jackie and I sat there and watched this for two hours, just mouths agape at how awful this movie was. But the CGI and the fighting robots, pretty cool. Um, so if you saw it and agree with me, uh, we can commiserate, I guess, together on this podcast. Mm. Don't watch it. It's terrible. Well, now I have to. It's bad, Chris. It's bad. It it like has this kind of moral core that's kind of interesting, and then just just throws it right out the window for the third act, where it's just just brutality and uh, violence. <laughs> you know, what so. what about me strikes you as somebody who watches only good movies? Chris, you're the classiest person I know. What are you talking about? You watch bad movies? 
I'll watch a direct to Amazon Prime high fantasy movie. <laughs> That's exclusively what he would prefer to watch. You're talking about like the low budget ones where you can see people's like uh, coffee cups and, and yeah, uh, this sorceress has a zipper. <laughs> All right, you're gonna love this movie. You should check it out. Outside oh. the water, beyond the wire. I don't know something like that. I'm looking forward to it. And that's about it for us today. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye-bye. Bye.